Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, you inky savages. Thanks once again for joining us for another episode of the Penboy Roy Pendertainment Podcast. We are at episode number 166. How do you like our matching glasses? Me and the Odd Oink, we got matching glasses for everybody watching and who can see if you're not watching and you're listening. Well, we have matching glasses. I'm, I've been meaning to send these back to him because he left them in my car last year, but I'm just so terrible at mailing stuff. So, so obviously I've replaced them. He's just replaced. <laughs> he's just replaced them. Sorry, Tom. But anyway, I'm kind of wearing this as a, a nod and ode to my good friend. I think you like Oink. it. It looks good on you. I would say, you know, I think it. I think it might be your style. I think you could go. For well, it. so the thing is. I'm probably not going to wear them outside because my head is more melon-like than yours. So, mm -hmm. like, my, I always felt like my head is disproportionately too large relative to my body. So it just wouldn't look good. It looked good on you. They don't look good on me. Mm -hmm. But please check out the Gold Spot affiliate link in the description below to buy your inks, pads, and pens. And make sure to use coupon code. Is it the same coupon code? Yes. Okay, coupon code Garfield for the remainder of this month. Is that correct? Garfield. Yeah, yes. Garfield for an additional savings on all products on the Goldspot website with some exclusions applying. So again, the affiliate link is in the description below. So this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming out new, what's new and exciting yes. with luxury brands so of America, specifically platinum brands. So go for it, Tom. Do you want to bring up some images so that people can see? Sure, sure. So I'm just checking here. All right, let me put that up on the camera. Mm-hmm. So Tom's going to talk about the new Platinum Kuridos. But they're not just your regular Kuridoses. They are matte-finished Kuridoses. This is like Kuridos 2.0. It's a new edition of Kuridas pens that the Kuridas, if you remember, is a retractable fountain pen that is kind of set lower at a price point than a vanishing point. So a more approachable kind of, and I wouldn't say entry level retractable nib fountain pen, but one of significant quality that's not going to be as expensive as a vanishing point with a gold nib, but still a Japanese uh, kind of a Japanese heritage sort of minimalist retractable pen design that it, it technically it works really well and they I think they really got the kinks ironed out because this is not very easy to do um, retractable fountain pen because a, a fountain pen needs to stay very I don't want to use that the M word for it it has to stay wet so <laughs> it has to stay wet in order to be able to write with it on demand instantly with just retracting the nib in, in and out so you know, if you're going to make a pen like that, you got to make it so that it's going to write on demand and then also not dry out on you. And that's what the Curidas does is that they've they've engineered it. They've made it very, I'd say, like almost overcomplicated to fill the pen, but just a little bit tricky. But it's but it's very satisfying, though. There's a lot of like notches and stuff like that to go. And um, and it's and the Kuridas though is in this 2.0 version is a matte finish that looks really modern and I think like very like very sleek looking and also uh, tactile wise feels a lot better than just the regular plastic that they were using in the first edition of it. So it's available in three colors of which is all black 
then there's the blue and the red. And as you can see with the diagrams I'm putting on the screen, if you can, I'll describe it for you, is that they prevent ink evaporation using this kind of a similar sort of design ethics as they did with the slip and seal cap mechanism. So they want to make sure that every time that you pick up a Curidos, it's going to write when it has ink, either the cartridge or the converter filled with it. Uh, so this particular set also includes the a bottle of ink as well. So it's a limited edition set. Uh, these are now available at Goldspot or any other platinum retailer and uh, available in either fine or medium point. Like I said, it's a steel nib and it's it's a it's a really nice pickup. Um, we'll talk a little bit more outside of the sponsorship read, but uh, there's there's an interesting experiment that we performed with the Curidas with uh, Adam from An Ink Guy on YouTube. Yes. Um, that we just got the results back on, which happened to happen at the same time as these pens coming into stock so that's awesome so it's almost as if you guys planned it out this way even though it didn't. was very fortuitous we did not plan it so yeah so he actually i've been in communication with adam from an ink guy and he's actually using segments of my video in that but we'll talk about more about that later mm -hmm. so again use use the affiliate link in the description below to make your purchases especially for this platinum Curidos 2.0 with the rubber grip i actually really liked it when i went to gold spot and bryce was showing us the, the samples ones. Mm -hmm. the matte ones i just loved the feel in the hand i also love the look because it's a matte finish and it has a rubberized feel to it it doesn't feel as or look as chintzy it has more of a high-end feel to it and it doesn't feel as box office storish it doesn't look like something or feel like something that you can purchase at a tj maxx or staples or something like that so i really right. appreciate the the modifications they made and how they changed it up so i congratulations i think that's like the first sponsorship read in a while that we did that's under like 80 minutes but anyway, I want to get on with the episode. Thank you again for joining us for episode number 166 of the Pentertainment Podcast. But before we get started, I want to give you guys a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not scripted and therefore will contain potty mouth words, both from Tom and I. So be forewarned, you have been warned. Now, on to the podcast. The Pet Boy Roy Entertainment Podcast. Stage Right, so this week was a little nuts. It looked like we lived on Mars in the Northeast. And, uh, it was like Total Recall, East Coast. where Arnold was gasping for air and his eyes were bugging out at the very end. Yeah. Recall that part. It, it, it was really weird because I wasn't paying attention to the news because I've been in a brain fog since I got back from Paris. Mm -hmm. And I'm driving into work and it's just a little foggy. I'm like, all right, it is what it is. I get to work and then me and some coworkers, we decide that we want to put some new fish in the newly established 13 gallon fluval flex 13 gallon tank we have set up so we went and we bought some fish and on the way back everything just started turning orange like the mm -hmm. sky was orange everything was orange we couldn't see and i'm like man it's like the fucking end of days over here yeah so that's Trippy. when that's when my coworker was like yeah the forest fires and canada are causing changes in the atmosphere so i was like holy cow so we were rocking n95s for the next day or two and then today it's just normal like nothing ever yeah, happens today yeah so i don't know i'm looking at the air quality measurements it's at like 50 
it's yeah it's fine i'm just it's oh, crazy so the other day it was like three was it 300 plus 400 yeah in new york hazardous. it went up to yeah it went up to like 400 but mm-hmm. they were also saying like even if you wear an n95 mask the particles are so small right that it can get past the mask and you can breathe it in and it can get into your bloodstream so i'm like well gee that sucks you know <laughs> But yeah, it was it was some crazy. It just it just felt very eerie. It did. It just it just had a science fiction. Like I was half expecting monsters to just come rolling in with the yellow haze, and I would have been totally like not fine with it. But I would have been totally ready. I'm like whatever's gonna roll down. I'm I'm going full on Mad Max right now. That's. Did you ever see the mist? Yes. With Thomas Jane, it was like mm-hmm. that, but orange. Yes. It's like there's well, just I mean, a cloud it, of... it was, yeah, it was as, it, but like, I think in the mist, it was even more dense than that, where you couldn't even see like 15 feet in front of you. Yeah. And but yeah, but it bugs. was really dense. It was really dense. Not a day. I texted you. I was like, it's not a day to go out for a jog. I, or was that somebody yeah. else? I said that. No, you. you did. And then I was like, no, I didn't go out this morning. I just made that executive decision. It just yeah. did not seem that. I mean, I noticed it on Tuesday afternoon. I was outside on my deck and I was like looking at the sun setting and it was just weird because I was like, I could actually look at the sun. Like, it usually would hurt your eyes, you know? Like, it, I, I was like, I'm looking at it. It's kind of like an orangey pink. And I'm not, it's not hurting my eyes. It's, it's like, it's like, and then then I asked my my daughter came out. She was like, no, that's the moon. I'm like, no, it's the sun. It's just, it's blocked out by this really weird looking haze right now that was settling in. And that was on two. And then, but then it just steadily got worse from there. Whereas like in the morning, it was just... Yeah, it was, it was crazy. crazy stuff. You know, it made me think of, like, massive cataclysmic events, right? So, like, can you imagine? That was just a forest fire, right? I know it was a massive forest fire, and as far as forest fires go and brush fires go, this one was massive. But if, like, a meteor hit the Earth, like, the, the one that destroyed all the dinosaurs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I I was just, like... The idea that a brush fire can cause a carpeting atmospheric change mm-hmm. as far as it did was eye-opening. Here's something was... a little bit more plausible and scarier than a meteor hitting the earth. What's that? Is Yellowstone National Park. What about Yellowstone National Park? It sits on top a massive super volcano. Mm. that hasn't blown in about as long as scientists say, hey, it's time for it to to go again. And that thing pops off. You're talking way, way worse than, you know, some smoke blowing our way. Wow. You're talking like ash and just the whole entire planet getting covered with smoke and just, just, yeah, it would be crazy. Mass extinction event. Yeah. It would be considered a mass extinction event, you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, wow. pretty much not, I mean, not all living life, but it, it would be a significant portion would end up. Because, I mean, that's just the thing, is that is that you think that everything would end with the apocalypse. But the thing is, is that life is very persistent, and we've mm-hmm. lived with, like, life on Earth, not saying humans, but life on Earth has lived through these cataclysmic events, ice ages, meteors hitting things like that and then has developed into something different over the course of millions and millions of years so it may be the end of 
one type of organism, let's say maybe perhaps us or whatever, but then it may end up being the precursor to something else coming along the line because life is very, was it was in Jurassic Park. Was it uh, the line that uh, uh, life finds a way? You know? Yeah, I think that was Ian yeah. Malcolm's ca- yes. the character, Ian Malcolm. So life finds a way. I always life find finds way. a way. And he does the hand thing because that's a, a Jeff Goldblum signature, yeah. you know? Yeah. So anyway, I want to talk about the pen of the week and Tom and I discussed it. So I got this beautiful package in the mail and in the package came this pen here for everybody watching and if you're not watching, this is the Bennu Euphoria. What's the model name called? The Goldfish Edition? This is called the Forest Pond. Forest Pond. Yes. Okay. It is a Bennu store exclusive that so uh, is hand-painted. You, you can only get it at the Bennu store. It's hand-painted, which kind of boggles my mind. I'm, it, it looks as though that there's a layer of lacquer over the painting, so you can't actually feel the painting. So I'm thinking that it's wrapped in something to protect it. But what the reason it boggles my mind is, if you're telling me it's hand-painted, does that mean every pen is painted by hand? Or they paint it on something else, and then they silk screen it onto the pen? Do you know which one it is? So I'm reading the description on Bennu's website to share get a little it. bit more share background it with everybody watching. I could, sh- I could share. Let me share it. So I'm just going to share that screen so you can take a look. And so it says, The Forest Pond Fountain Pen features hand-painted goldfish and white water lilies set to a pearly aqua blue background. Blue and green glitter foil added to the pen's material creates an illusion of the play of light in the depths of a forest pond adding vibrancy and vividness. True piece of art, this unique pen is available exclusively on the online store, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so lovingly handmade and hand-painted with a series of multicolored layers, process takes up to five days to complete and results in the pen's impressive depth of colors and unique glare. So so that from what they say, it's completely hand-painted, so. Hmm. And it takes five days. Yeah, and it says this means each pen slightly differs in artwork and as such is one of a kind. Wow, so that is interesting. I do. Uh, that's. I do think that that's kind of cool. Do you? Mm-hmm. Don't you think the artist is sitting there and he's like, "For the love of God, I'm tired of painting these goldfish." So this pen has a MSRP of two hundred and eighty U.S. dollars. That seems like a lot, but if you consider the fact euphoria. that, yeah, I feel like for a Euphoria, that's a lot. But you also I think have you regularly to... you could find one at full retail of just the normal uh, ones. I think they're like one forty or one fifty. I want to say so they actually tell you how many they have in stock they have 17 available they do which is yeah which is cool so you can only buy this at the Bennu website I think it's cool I think it's worth it considering listen you have an artist sitting over it and slaving over it and Mm -hmm. that takes time well for me it was I saw that pen a while back and I was like, that's amazing because I love the blue. I usually love blue and gold. is mm-hmm. one of my favorite color combinations uh, on a pen particularly. And then seeing the fish on there. But I'm like, I'm like, I'm not really that much into fish. But then it went out of stock. I think they ran out of them or whatever. So I was like, oh, they must have sold out that edition. But then I was looking back at that page with all – because they've increased their lineup of the hand-painted pens over the last, like, let's say, year or so since they've moved uh, their factory and stuff like that. So they've increased that variety, and I was looking through all the designs on there, and I happened to see, hey, it's available again. And I was yeah. like, you know what? 
I didn't want to wait again and then have it not be available. And then there's like, oh, we're not doing that design anymore. Because then I was like, you know who would appreciate the, the goldfish? Roy would appreciate the goldfish. I definitely so, would be. Although yeah. I am not equipped to raise goldfish because it's a cold water fish. And I feel like my room always is too warm for goldfish. And I know that goldfish will suffer. In so you'd have room. to like somehow make the water colder. You'd have to like yeah. I'd have to keep the room constantly air conditioned because my room temperature in here is above seventy six degrees. Unless mm -hmm. I throw the air conditioner on, but if I'm not here, I don't keep the air conditioner on. Yeah, you're gonna be spending a lot of money running that electric yeah. bill just for a fish. Yeah, but hey, there's no such thing as just a fish. Okay. Just for a fish. Yeah. But. So I do really appreciate this pen. Thank you for Tom for getting yeah. it for me. And thank you, Goldspot, for getting it for me. So this pen is your typical Euphoria. It's got the faceted sides. How many sides is it? It's like... I think it's 10. 10 sides. It's a screw cap. It's two and a half rotations, which seems like a lot for, for a twist cap. But nothing is a lot compared to Slickery Don't's pen that he sent me. It has a number six sized Schmidt nib which, to my understanding, is currently produced by Yovo. I'm pretty sure, yeah. It's non-branded. It's just the Schmidt nib. I really wish Banu would invest in actually branding their nibs to complete mm -hmm. the whole package. It's a cartridge converter. It has a Schmidt converter. Do you, do you know... You, do you think... These are definitely eye-droppable, eye wouldn't you say? Pretty sure, yes. Yeah. So... Like I said, I do believe that the Schmidt nibs are made by Yovo, so the writing experience is similar to that of a Yovo nib. You and know, it would be crazy if they invested, let's say, doing their own nib, and then they did some crazy stuff on the nib. You know, like people have been doing the PVD finishes with the rainbow or, like, the blue, the red. So what if they did yes. some, you know, crazy masking, and they could do some of the, some of the trim could be in red, and some of it, they could go whatever the design of the pen is, and then match that right. so like something like that maybe they could go with a blue but with like a gold shoulders like the, around the around the, the it could be like bicolor so it could be blue and gold together mm -hmm. I don't know I'm, I'm just I'm just imagining even more opulence added to the <laughs> Bennu brand I mean like yeah. where else could they add some more crazy glittery colorfulness right I mean so really quick I think that it could also make it look a little bit too tacky, don't you think? Like if I think if with Bennu, it's, there is no such thing. I think they could just keep going. I think that's what people expect: is that how over the top can they possibly get? Hmm. True. So, I, I definitely think over the top works for them, but I think there's mm -hmm. a limit. I, that's all I'm saying. You know, I don't. But then again, you never know because they may go over the top, and then I'll look at it and be like, "Oh my god, this is so awesome!" <laughs> you know, this you is never the know. most amazing thing ever. Right, because I do like an opulent looking pen, especially when it comes to pens that have a lot of abalone shells. So Monteverde released the the Super Mega in all abalone. Love that thing. Mm -hmm. Love that thing. It just you can't stuff more opulence into that to the point of. Of making me say, hey, it's, this is just too much. No, you can't do it. I like it. The more it is, the better. But there's also going to be people who will disagree and don't like yeah. it. It's taste. It's, yeah. it's something for everybody out there now. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the Platinum Kuridos and whether or not it can stay inked and usable after six months. So 
I want to talk, I don't want to spoil it for an ink guy, Adam's video, because his video was launched about a day ago. And he did a video experiment. Now, the video experiment is, let, let's talk about the background of it. It's not like he got the pen, videotaped himself inking it up, waited six months, and then showed the results, correct? Right, so... If, if you want to back it up to where this had initially began was that he had an experiment with the 3776 that we were talking about in one of the previous Pentertainment podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. So that was the precursor then for the discussion of, well, there's this Curados that then Platinum evidently says, or they, they claim that can last six months unretracted and still be able to write with it immediately after being in a drawer for six months. So mm -hmm. then after listening to that, Adam reaches out to me and he says, Hey, I'd be willing to buy one and then give it a shot. And then you could, you could write with it. You could write a note with it and then put it in a box, wait six months, send it to me. And then uh, and I was like, I'll do you one better. I'll just send it to you. And we'll just, you know, that way, you could review it and, and do whatever you'd like to it. Thinking that, like, okay, this is an experiment. What if this doesn't go as planned and it doesn't write when he gets it? But I had so much confidence being that the Platinum 3776 overperformed expectations on his video. That mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I think that the Curados is probably going to hold its weight here. So... Sure. We ended up doing that back in December. Put it. I, I took a video. It's actually up on one of the Gold Spot Instagram reels way back when. I'll, I'll do like another uh, video probably soon just to kind of put everything together and to show that that was the same pen. So I did a video writing the note that I sent to Adam. And I put that pen with the note away in a desk drawer. Six months later... I had a reminder, because you know I'm organized like that, so I had a reminder to contact Adam. And so I contacted him, just check in, hey, you remember that thing we were talking about before? Six months later, so let's uh, let's do this. So I sent it to him, he opened up and did his video, and now it's up, the results are up on YouTube. And I didn't want to spoil right. it, because I yeah. don't want to steal his thunder. Right, I don't want to spoil it either, but we will include the link to Adam's video. It's uh, He's an online YouTuber who does videos on fountain pens, and he is named an ink guy on YouTube. We'll, YouTube will include that in the video. Now, I do want to talk about it without giving away spoilers. Do you think that the way you guys did it by you writing with the pen when you first inked it up, Mm -hmm. and then storing it for six months, and then sending it to him after six months, could have added variables that would have changed the results had he gotten the pen right away and waited six months with it in his desk, it not being sloshed around and moving. I think that, so what I mean is this. You held onto the pen. It was stagnant for six months, and then you shipped it to him after six months. And during that shipping process, it's on a plane, it's in a truck bouncing around, it's shaking around, Maybe somehow being on a plane or being in a truck or during the travel and the moving around can cause the pen to write when it normally wouldn't had it been sitting or to not write when it normally wouldn't would have if it had not been shaken around. So that 
that's the one of one variable that I feel like could have been avoided had you shipped mm-hmm. it the day you wrote that note. Mm-hmm. Then he, it would have been sitting. So I think that whether the results were it did write or it didn't write, I think they were affected by the handling of the pen. You know what I'm saying? Because the experiment needs to be if it's capped. I mean, I guess it's just if it's capped for six months. It doesn't say whether it's still in cap for six months, right? Right. And also what is impressive, too, is that despite the fact that it did have ink in it, and I've seen this on the receiving end number of times where customers will send returned pens fully inked and seeing what that may happen in transit Mm -hmm. that you know that there could be the potential of ink just getting everywhere because it just gets jostled around too much sure so there or or that the pressure changes in the let's say flight or if it's because it's not going to be in cabin pressured you know, pressure controlled, or maybe, I don't know. But you don't know what's going to happen from point A to point B, how it's going to be handled. And sometimes you would just open up a package. I'm saying like when when returns, when the returns department opens up the package and the pen was still inked, it could just be like a giant inky bomb just went off. (laughs) And that's what I usually say for customers, please just empty the pen out, just flush it out. Even if it has like a little bit of trace ink, it's okay but not leave it completely inked and then just up to the gods as whether or not it's going to end up being received without being like completely exploded everywhere. This is going to be a hard question for you to answer, but I'm going to ask it just because I'm curious. When it comes to mm-hmm. receiving pens that are inked, is there typically a greater percentage of a certain brand of pen that is more likely to explode or leak during transit when it's filled versus pens that are not? Not really, because you don't see that many of them come back like that. Most are, most people are very considerate about it, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the be kind, rewind thing. It, it, it's, like, it's like, just make sure that it doesn't have a whole mass amount of ink in it. That Even right. if it does have a cartridge, usually with a cartridge, you'd be safer, I think, because it's, it's a smaller amount of ink, Mm-hmm. And it's not even if the cartridge was empty, it's not going to have a, a ton of air in it to then mess around with the pressure changes and spill out all over the place. But if it's let's say, you know, like a vac fill or an eyedropper, and it just wasn't the the safety valve wasn't engaged, then it's like game's off, man. It's just anything could happen. So <laughs> you know how someone could really just fuck around if they wanted to is mm-hmm. they could just buy an eyedropper pen like one of the opus pens yeah fill it to the brim with ink and then you ship it back and then it's like a inky mess when you get it but i don't think somebody i don't think anybody would do that just for fun that would not be fun no no fun at all it wouldn't no but i'm actually i was actually curious like what kind of pens have more of a propensity of leaking in transit i I don't know that per se Yeah, yeah i don't think there's any brands or pens that stick out in that regard Hmm. By the way, you know what pen brand does very well of after sitting in a desk or not being used for an extended period of time and then writes right out of the drawer when you take it back out? Mm-hmm. And I give I give the brand a lot of flack for being unreasonably expensive, but Montblanc. So mm. after last week, what I did was I put the pen in the pen wallet 
and I literally just left it for about a week just to see how the flex nib would write after right. a week of not being used, literally just being untouched and unmoved. And I pulled it out, and right away it started writing. Awesome. As wet as it was on day one when I filled it. That's awesome. So, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying the Montblanc Meisterstück calligraphy pen. I just wish that it wasn't so expensive because it's so expensive. Yeah. And it's huh. so, it's, not only is it so expensive, it's just so out of reach for so many people who like flex nib writing. Mm -hmm. So Well, that's the, that's the problem with flex nib writing is that so many people ask, what's a great first flex nib or what's, what could I do to get started with a flex nib? And there's really no good answer for that mm -mm. up until you start spending money for, let's say, a Pilot Falcon. And that's a pretty hefty investment for most people who are looking just to dabble. Right. So I might even just say, you know what, if you're just interested in maybe just trying out the Spencerian or the, the calligraphy style of like playing with just a flexible nib, but just kind of throwing out the, the fact that it has to be a fountain pen, is just do a, a browse blue pumpkin nib in a dip nib holder. And you just basically have to just say, you know what, I can't, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be getting a good experience with an actual feeding fountain pen that carries its own ink. I'm just going to use a dip nib just to play around with the whole concept of flex and the whole practice of using a flex nib because it is, it operates the same way. It's just that you just have to keep dipping it in order to feed yourself with the ink that's required to, to do the flexing. So, mm. you know, that's, that's really, I kind of feel that that would be the best way and the cheapest way to really get started. Because I think with a, a wooden nib holder and one of those dip nibs, you're, you're in it under like $10. And I think you're going to get much more satisfying, more true to form flex experience than let's say buying a, a noodler's creeper pen, which could end up making you curse all of the pen gods for giving you this pen because of the because if it's made with the vegetal resin it'll smell awful and it just won't flex well and then you have to tinker around with it to get the mm -hmm. flow right it's just like just dip the brows nib play around with that see if you like the whole aspect of slowing down and writing with that calligraphic flair and then when you kind of get a good feel for it then you could say oh you know what i'm gonna try pilot falcon custom 912 something like a scribo if you really want to go hitting for the the, the fences there or or the mont blanc if it when it becomes yeah. available that mont blanc calligraphy you, nib. you you said something earlier that i i wanted clarification on because some people may not know what you're talking about and i didn't what do you mean blue pumpkin you said a so blue there's pumpkin. there's a particular nib it is it's the it's called the steno nib i think it's like the 66 steno nib it's 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 nicknamed the blue pumpkin because it is blue and I don't know, I guess it kind of has a pumpkin-ish shape. It, it kind of looks round, but it's got these interesting cutouts that mm. are on the side. And that's what makes it I've, flexy. I can seen, try to show I've... it for the camera. But um, but yeah, this is one that I use. And you have to kind of know, you have to know like a little bit of what you're doing with this because you have to set it up with just putting it under some flame. You have to just mm -hmm. kind of use like a little lighter and, and, and burn off the excess uh, machining oils that are made for this pen but then i've been using this for years in this dip nib i've used it for a lot of the uh swatch cards that i have the coloring cards so and it still is kicking now i've not had to replace it so oh wow so you've been using that same nib for for years 
Yeah, but I don't use it all the time. I just use it for for basically when I'm just sampling inks and writing down okay. the dipping dip testing inks and stuff like that. So it's not like it's a daily use item. So right. So first thing, I've seen a pumpkin and I've seen that nib, and I never thought that they look like each other. No, but whatever. But that's what it's anyway. Called. I would like to share. Hold on a second. Share. Oh, you're sharing your screen. No, 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 no. I'm just oh, sharing. No. I want to share my experience. Oh. Yeah. So I remember my experience with flex nib writing started because my buddy Marcos had given me a Twisby 580 mini, the mini 580. Mm-hmm. And it had a 1.1 stub, I think it was. Okay. And I love the calligraphic flair that it had on the downstroke and everything like that. And I thought it was really cool. I started looking into different types of cursive. And then he started talking to me about like flex nibs and stuff like that. And the idea of a flex nib just felt very treacherous because he explained to me that, oh, if you have a flex nib, you spread the tines and you use pressure, yada, yada, yada. And it could cause the tines to splay and that's why you can't use too much then you we started talking about it and the first thing i tried was a noodler's pen and i feel like my experience with the noodler's pen wasn't positive and i feel like a lot of people will share that same experience because if you're looking to dabble you're probably at the point where you're not the best at tuning or adjusting your own nibs right so i do like noodler's pens because it's the cheapest access to flexnet but i don't like noodler's pens because it could be a huge turnoff and i remember thinking to myself well i guess now because the noodler's isn't all that great i need to find something that would perform better so what was the next step the next step was literally the pilot falcon and the pilot falcon obviously was a way better pen but it it does railroad it does starve and you don't get a consistent ink line then after that i remember i was just on this fix to find a good flex nib the next one that i found i actually bought from gold spot i spoke to you about it that was, was a while ago yeah this was this was before we started working together this is just I actually called Goldspot thinking I was going to get Dawn, but then you answered. And I remember asking about the the Platinum 3776, the celluloid. Mm-hmm. And then also the Conklin Sterling Anniversary Flex Pen. Do you remember that? Oh. It was a Crescent Filler. Right. Was it? Yeah. It was like orange, was it? It was, was red. It, was, it red. was a red one. Okay. And I remember you didn't have them in stock, but you said you can get them, both mm-hmm. of them. So I purchased them, and you had asked me, hey, do you mind if I write with it? So I was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Go, go for it. Write with it. So when you got it in stock before you sent it to me, you wrote with it on a piece of paper an a5 size paper a note saying hey thank you for letting me try the pen i hope you really enjoy it and blah 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 
And then I got it and I inked it up and I'm thinking I'm looking at this letter that you wrote and I'm thinking, what this this pen this is the the ability of this pen, this is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. So I went and wrote with it, and I couldn't get the same results. I remember it were, you were like, you're like, no, it's not working for me. <laughs> yeah, it certainly wasn't. And I think this was all, partly my user error and partly the pen not, I guess, keeping up as well. Mm-hmm. Because what I found was it's the line started off pretty broad and then stretches out, opens up even wider, but the feed couldn't keep up. I don't think the feed was... It was the cheapy plastic feed. Yeah. Then on top of that, it was a 14-karat gold nib. But it didn't have any snapback, if you remember. Do you remember? Vaguely. Vaguely, yeah. Yeah. It was, so, I remember you ended up returning it. I remember yes, that. Yes. I remember thinking, this thing sucks. I hate it. Because I would flex it, and then the tines would stay open. I'm like, what the, what the fuck? But... Again, that might be because I was... It might have been user error. I might have been putting too much pressure on, maybe. I don't know. I don't but remember. I don't... It's, I do... It's it's tough because that's one of the issues, I think, with flex nibs and with making a great flex nib is that you can't control the user using the pen. So it's Right. Like, it's, There's it's, too it's many very, differences. Yeah. There, it's, it's, it's a very delicate... Um, just like, just like it's, a, I mean, like the nib itself is so very delicate and you put too much pressure on it one certain way and then it all gets screwed up. And I'm not saying that every, like all of a sudden, like somebody just, you know, get grabs a pen, just smashes on it, you know, but like, it's just that, it's just that it varies so much and you can't really sit there and just tell somebody, oh no, you're supposed to do it this way. It's like, well, I don't write this way. Yeah. It's right. like, that's, that's not my style. So like, right. I'm going to end up screwing this pen up, but it's, it's so delicate that like, that's just what happens is that you have to, you have to like almost, if you write a certain way, you have to like change the way that you approach it in order to be able to work with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it doesn't screw up the in- pen, but the, like the moment that you do go over that line there is no point of return. It's like, that's yeah. it. The nib's, the nib's screwed. So I think Linda Kennedy from Ink Independence, mm-hmm. she's a great nib tuner, studied under Richard Binder. She calls it demon flexing. But demon flexing. In retrospect, what I learned from that whole thing was what works for you didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just two people out of 7 billion, right? Yes. There are so many variables when it comes to comes to using flex nib writings. You're you're right. There is no standard way of gauging how someone would write. Now, in the whole scope of fountain pens, not that there's faults. I'm not. I think faults a wrong word. Fault is coming to mind. But whose responsibility do you think it is when it comes to flex nibs? A company makes a flex nib, sells it, a person gets it. Is it the person's responsibility to write the way the company intended the nib to be written with? Or should the company be responsible for making a nib that can be universally used by everybody? That's a, I think that's a question that's very, it's, it's very difficult to answer because I think it exists in almost everything. And some companies take different approaches to that issue and i know pelican one of them they actually have 
every I think every quarter they they produce a set of like they get random sets of pens out so like let's say they'll maybe get like a m1000 m800 and 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 they'll bring in a group of let's say about 20 people various different backgrounds uh familiarity levels with fountain pens and things like that and they have them test them at their facilities so that they could get some honest feedback pun intended about (laughs) about like about their nibs so, right. you know, like they have to like the companies do have a responsibility to understand where the market is and how people are using their product and to best then adjust their approach to making it a better fit for the public. You know, so it uh, but like for something that's specialty like a flex nib, I think it's even harder to do that because mm-hmm. you have to also gauge not only how the person writes with a pen, but then how are they going to write with a pen that also can flex and are, are you know, like how much knowledge do they have to be able to use it properly? I think also the same thing applies with stub nibs too, because mm-hmm. especially the broader stub nibs, like 1.5 and above, you have to kind of know that you're keeping both sides of the tines down on the page and not rolling your hand because sometimes people have a tendency to roll their hand and write with a, the pen at an angle that it mm-hmm. just is not capable i got a fly going in front of me here uh is not capable of of uh, being able to lay down ink because it needs both sides of the tines to be down at the same time to get that full contact and draw the ink from the nib to the paper mm-hmm. yeah so it's a hard question to answer right like who is i i'm going to use a harsh word here who is to blame for the pen not working is it the manufacturer for... who is culpable <laughs> is it the manufacturer or is it the end user for not having the standard that the manufacturer kind of envisioned for when it comes to writing with it mm. right it's yeah. it's a tough question tough question to answer i don't think that there is an answer but that is well, a question mm. i do pose to our listeners and viewers what do you think when you buy a flex nib fountain pen are you are you taking into consideration how you write or do you expect it to write and flex regardless of how it is that you write and how different you may be from everybody else. If it doesn't work for you, but it works for somebody else, do you blame the manufacturer or do you blame yourself? Or is it a combination? Write in, mm-hmm. pentertainmentpodcast at gmail.com. I'm curious to hear your answers. I one mean, just my... That, I, I'm sorry. Uh, one of the things that I think about is the comparison or the the, the analogy that the late Susan Worth had, had said about uh, flex nibs being <clears> like manual transmission cars and kind of taking that analogy into this context you have to know how to use a manual transmission car if you're buying a car and the dealership says all i got is in manual you drive manual right uh yeah i could figure it out and then you screw up the clutch on like the second day i think that's on you right because you have to kind of know how to use it and there is some learning curve involved in it but while meanwhile an automatic which is basically any other round type of fountain pen nib monoline type of nib you just hit the gas pedal and it goes you don't have to worry about what gears that you're in or when you're shifting through the clutch point and everything like that you have to you know it's 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 a different it's a different beast so i think that's an excellent excellent analogy I think that's an excellent analogy when it comes to flex nib writing. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, though, when it comes to 
differences in terms of users and some people have different results like I suck at using a flex nib whereas you're excellent at it these differences didn't really exist I'm assuming as much in 1910 everybody knew how to use a flex nib so I think there's a huge element that's missing today and that's just the art the of calligra calligraphic writing yeah people doesn't were exist anymore Spencerian or Palmer script and it was a different you know it's a different style of writing whereas you know people are just learning how to print and their the cursive is not being taught as frequently as it used to mm -hmm. and if it is it's not the palmer method or it's not or or maybe the palmer method actually um but it's not going to be spencerian or copperplate you know the right. types that you would normally see with some embellishments um you know, like you would use in a, with a flex nib. So, mm. uh, it, it, uh, but I think there's enough resources out there, and it's not as complicated as as I think we're, we might be making it to seem. That I think you could just spend some time and figure it out. It's, but like I said, I think you could just get the same experience in learning how to use it, and then be able to upgrade to those higher end pens without feeling like you're going to end up ruining the nib. Um, just using that browse nib, use a dip nib that can flex and, and get a, a good feel for how that performs. But then when you're going to the fountain pen version of it, probably just go a lot more gentle and just kind of just see where that sweet spot is in terms of how much ink is flowing and, and how much flex you're able to do. And then realize that when you start to see starvation, either the, the feed is having trouble keeping up or you're pressing too hard. This is usually like kind of like a combination of both. I have a question for you. In your in your experience, do you feel that like let's because I think that starting with the dip nib is definitely the cheapest, safest option. So from there, should someone move on to a metal? Uh, I'm sorry, a steel flex nib, or should they move on to a gold flex nib? And the reason why I'm asking is this: the dip nibs they're very flexible steel nibs are not and what i found was going from a steel nib to a gold nib you have to understand that gold is way softer yes and you can take genuinely less pressure yes so being that gold is very soft and way easier to flex than steel and mm -hmm. if you start with a flexible dip pen don't you think it would be a better idea to go from the dip pen to the gold I think that if your budget allows, that would be great because that would be more of a similar experience where you're putting less pressure on it because you would have mm -hmm. to put more pressure on a steel nib. Since we had talked initially and you had been venturing into steel nibs way, way, way back when, a couple of new options had arrived, one of which I think is totally viable if you were, let's say, let's say going from that very starting, very early starting point of a dip nib. And if you wanted to just get like a steel flex nib on... A pretty decent pen like a Leonardo or an Edison or is is those Yovo uh, elastic nibs they're pretty decent and I mean while they're not gonna give you like a crazy amount of flex nor will they snap back like to a very fine fine point but I think that they do a good job at just providing that line variation more so than I feel the Omniflex do mm. I think that if you're gonna look for a steel nib that flexes in that like 100 to 150, 200 range, I would look at the Yovo stainless steel elastic nibs. But the Omniflex is a Yovo nib. It, but the thing is, they put that, like, whereas you get the Yovo feed on the Yovo one, they put that 
cheapy plastic feed, that other one. Oh, that, yeah. So Yeah, that's so not really built for... I, right. I feel like it's not, it's not good for that. So your issue isn't with the nib. Your issue is with the feed. More and you're so with saying, the feed, yeah. Right. So you're saying go with the Edison or the there's Franklin Kristoff. Yeah, Frank, there's a lot of options that they use that steel. As, uh, opposed, even, uh, yeah, as opposed even, to the Omniflex because the Omniflex doesn't utilize that feed that the Yovo nib units utilize. And I do like those feeds because they're very springy and... Mm-hmm. They're, they're so, like, slinky-like that if the nib is curved more than it should be, the feed just kind of bends to the shape. So there's never any need for heat setting, and I think that's a big reason why the Yovo nib units are consistent. so... Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I know that Linda Kennedy used to do... Mod- I don't, she probably still does modifications to the feed to make it more wet, which makes the flexing way more consistent. I don't know what yeah, she does. It's kind of like a secret, you know? Or also getting, let's say, those feeds from Flexible Nib Factory, which I've mentioned before, is that they make uh, Yovo Ebonite feeds, or they make feeds for the 912, mm-hmm. uh, 823, popular pens mm-hmm. that sometimes will have those flex nibs on them, and they mm-hmm. make the Ebonite feeds, which either could have two or three channels, so you could get really wet and wild, get a three-channel Ebonite feed for your 912, and it will it will keep up. Fuck it. Let's get like 20, 20 channels on that thing. <laughs> well, if you look at like a vintage Conklin Crescent Filler, the feed channel is almost like a scoop out. Mm-hmm. So the ink fills this little reservoir and it's almost like a little oval shaped, I don't know what to call it, just a scoop out. So it's like it's super wet and that's how you get the wet noodle stuff. But it still to this day boggles my mind and just fascinates me how a guy in a workshop manually making everything was able to make a flex nib that works hundred times better than everything that we have today despite all the technology we have you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying yeah it's like it is a mystery but i i think we're trying to we're working to try to figure it out because i think that's kind of the one of the holy grails of of fountain pen manufacturing is can we make a f- modern flex nib that can write like a wet noodle vintage pen. But we and can't. That, I, I don't think we've seen it. That's that's like the that's like the moonshot for the for the fountain pen world, you know? It's like yeah. it's like let's let's do it. Let's figure out how we could do it. So, what would you if you had it's to beyond pick, my thing though. <laughs> I don't know. If you had to pick one pen to be the reigning flexing champion pen with all the brands and everything that you've experienced, what pen would that be? With the vintage ones? No, no, no. The ones that exist today. Oh, like you, modern you, ones. Yeah, so you can pick one modern pen to be your primary flex pen, the champion of all flex pens that you own. Mm-hmm. You can't modify it. You can't get a new feed for it. You just have to buy it out of the box. And that is the champion flex pen. What would yes. that be? That would be a Scribo. I would get a Scribo, feel the flex. That would, that's what I would do. That was a very quick response. It's, it's, it was easy. It was an easy Isn't, Doesn't Omos yeah. still exist, and wouldn't it be the same? Uh... No, so so like the like the, basically so Scribo had had been had, like had come out of the former employees of Omas, and one of the things that they wanted to do to build their brand was to take the heart of the Omas pen that had gone defunct in 2016 or whatever, and put it into this new brand Scribo. So they bought all the original tooling, the machinery. The, the all of the stuff that they used to make the 
original Omas nibs to make this new the new Scribo nibs. The new Omas company that has been introduced the, the that is not as a separate entity entirely. So that's not that's not affiliated with Scribo nor is it like the original Omas. It's a completely different thing. So so all the machining and tooling is all different and all new. It's not yeah, it's not it's not the it's nothing was taken from the original Omas brand. Um, except so they just bought the for, name and that is it. Yeah, yeah. So so like so like some of the models they've been making were with some old what they call I think uh what they call them historical uh stock of rods of celluloid and things like that. So there there are some parts and pieces that were able to but but like everything else is new. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So Okay, so but like they don't Scribo. even have so the so the newer Omas pens they have the 18k nib so there's not even like a 14 karat flex nib available for that at this time so like there's there could be some in the future but um, right now it's just the 18k uh, fountain pen nibs that they have. How is Scribo doing now business wise? Are they doing well? It's it's pretty good. I mean, it's like they've really started and and because the company had previously gone bankrupt and everything they a lot of the employees who were laid off saw what excess and what dabbling in too many things can result in so they just stuck it really they they have made a very very basic promise to their employees and to their customers is that we're going to make some premium italian fountain pens that are focused on a writing experience that are piston fill for the most part the pumas are cartridge converter and that we're just going to focus on that writing experience just making very limited batches of everything so everything that they make pretty much is limited they don't keep around styles for years and years and years everything is like limited 219 pieces worldwide every single material that they do and then they just cycle in new stuff as they go along uh, so like brands like delta that went under and then got kind of resurfaced and the makers of the or owners of delta like salvatore was the was a conspirator of delta he is now the owner of leonardo they learned omas learned from the mistakes created scribo and they're doing well now yeah the, the, i i think that also the I, I mean i'm hoping that the new delta also learns from the issues of the so i think they just all got involved way too much in very very high-end limited editions and everything was like a limited edition to them and then the brand i think was sold to uh richmond group for a while or, or louis vuitton like had owned uh omas i think for a spell and i i think that it just got away from them being italian owned like family-owned brands and i think mm -hmm. that's why aurora has stuck around for as long as it did is that it's just it's been family-owned uh for such a long time even monte monte grappa i think was the one that was owned by the richmond group for a while but then mm -hmm. they had sold to back to giuseppe aquila and it just it's a it's a very different world when you have a a passionate team of people who understand and love fountain pens behind the helm rather than it being owned by a super conglomerate luxury brand right. or another, you know, a, a, another conglomerate brand that An just basically firm. sees you as part of their portfolio of assets. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd seen it, see it both ways that there's brands that do that brands that don't, but I've seen the most success with brands that are truly invested in the writing instrument. They, they really love fountain pens and they have a passion for it and that they actually care about the people that write with their stuff. Mm-hmm. 
So what was the downfall of Omas? I just think it was it was too much. Uh, I, I I do believe that they were owned by some outside interests that uh, weren't that were not like part of the 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 folks that ran the company, and it just was not. It just didn't seem to me that they had a coherent plan about like okay, this is what we're going to do to really uh, become a longer player in the market that they were just like, well, here's this really other expensive limited edition. And then they did some great things with, let's say, the Ogiva cocktails because people loved those things and they were at a great price point at the time. But then at the same time, they were also selling limited editions for like $2,000, $5,000, $10,000. And that's what, you know, they they were hoping that people would get that. But now I see that there's a lot less of that. So you even look at Leonardo too. Leonardo doesn't carry a lot of pens that are in that really, really high end range. It's mostly in that, you know, we're talking like 150 to 300 to $500 range, even like Brooks material pens are like six around there. They're, they're manageable. They're not these limited editions with the sterling silver Vermeil overlays and, and all the crazy stuff that you still see with Monte Grappa. They're very, very like attuned to the fact that, not everybody's rolling that that deep these days. So. Right. Nobody can just drop two grand on a pen. And, and So other brands, like, for example, Visconti, is that also owned by a private equity firm? Uh, I want to say that it, it's I, – I don't know exactly uh, because mm-hmm. I know that they had, they had bumped Dante out. Uh, Dante Del Vecchio, one of the, the, the founders of Visconti. So there has to be some other – you know, players involved on the board there that just ended up being able to oust him at some point or another. So I, I, I don't know exactly what the structure of that is. Mm. I'm just wondering how, if in the future, we're going to see other brands go the way of Omas because private equity firms have a hand in the business. Because mm. it seems based on everything we're talking about, when when a private equity firm is involved, the touch they lose touch with the community and that loss of touch seems to ultimately be the cause of the demise yeah right well it's and not necessarily yeah not necessarily private equity firms but too many owners too many cooks in the kitchen i think can cause that right oh especially when they have different ideas of how the company should be run or how or or how much profit or what the or what the idea of of this whole business structure is supposed to be like uh, so you had a you had a big changeover a couple of years ago with Retro Fifty One with the, the original owner George Cartsadis retiring, and then the three guys uh, Adam, Jeff, and oh, I am I'm sorry I'm forgetting the third fellow that owns Retro Fifty One now, but they all went in on it, and you know so you have a completely different change in ownership, but I think that they wanted to continue they were all on the same page as far as like we want to continue the brand we think that the brand is successful doing what it's doing we're not going to be making big changes but we're going to try to because they had to you know buy out the company and buy out george so that he would sell to them and not shutter the company completely you know they 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 had to they have a a financial commitment to make to have retro 51 make money so, you know, you have to, you can't just say it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, build a brand and then from scratch and then like do whatever I want with it. It's like, well, we have to 
continue making this, you know, making pens that will actually make money for us. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's the business side of it is a tough thing because especially you have so many unknowns out there and, and it's very fickle in terms of the styles and, and what, and what the, the market wants and you want to make hits, but at the same time, you also want to make pens that will resonate with people and that people will enjoy. And it, it's, it's very, it, it's, it's a lot, it's fraught with a lot of very important decisions to make that yeah. uh, could ultimately then, you know, cost people their jobs or, you know, it's, it's crazy. So I feel like the transition for retro 51 was a smooth one though. I feel mm -hmm. like once the new owners came in, there might have been a lull or a slowdown in terms of production, but I think that very quickly they got the ball rolling afterwards and you know the character so. and yeah, the essence of Retro Fifty One to me remains unchanged. And it was it was a tough tra I, I think it was a little bit tougher though in terms of how people perceived Retro Fifty One because all of a sudden it went from twenty twenty was like, Oh my gosh the whole brand is going to, they're, they're going to go away. And like, I need to buy every limited edition that they come out with. And this is going to be like the last hurrah. And then when it was like, Oh, you know, they're saved. They're, they're going to be continuing pr producing pens. And then the kind of, I think the, the focus changed a little bit more because it was like a lot of people got fatigued. And so especially since it was so hot, so you have so many um, retailers and so many exclusives and it was just it almost seemed like every week somebody was dropping a new retro 51 mm. and I think it, it just it just tired a lot of people out who were just getting to a fever pitch at that moment in 2020 especially with like that particular moment in time was also an anomaly with people not being able to spend money on vacations and then staying at home so they were like naturally it was like oh I, I could I could buy this and this will make me happy. So mm -hmm. they'll, they'll buy, you know, collectible retro 51s and they'll be able to sit home and be able to write and journal and stuff. So mm. it was a different, it was a lot different time. So then I, I really think that George could not have gotten out of that company at a much higher point mm. in he, he like when they say buy low, sell high, I think he sold it the highest he possibly could. He did a great right. job with that. Um, and then from there, I think it's just been, trying to get a good foothold on like well you know what kind of like hopefully not oversaturating the market with so many different styles and how you know how mm. can we make this good so that all of the retailers can participate and make interesting designs and really add to the brand um and and make it uh much more popular than it already is but it's it already is super super popular so right right i think it's great well i think it's about that time we have to Thanks for the insight on a lot of the stuff that most people won't have because they're not, you know, in the industry the way you are. You yeah, I'm sorry I mean? if like, I like blabbered on a little too. No, much, no, it's really, know? it's really interesting, especially even for me who, you know, I have more insight than the end, the average end user. But in spite of that, there's still a lot of stuff that you're telling me that like I'm like, oh wow, I didn't know that. So it's good for people to hear this because. A lot of times people will just see a pen and say, oh, this is a pen. Why is it $155, not $149? And they get bent out of shape. A lot of stuff goes on. Not that they need to know that or they have to know that, but it gives them a greater understanding, maybe possibly in the best case scenario, a greater appreciation of what's happening. And I think that, that it's all that's valuable and I'm glad that we can talk about it. But yeah. anyway, that was, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's, I was just I, I I agree with you, and 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 I think this is uh, something that to think about with everything, 
mm-hmm. is that you know we we sometimes take for granted all of the little things that are around like material things that we have but know that they come from somewhere and that there's usually multiple hands involved with it and it is truly i feel like a miracle that when you order something you could order place an order for something and it's there in a matter of a few days it's like one of those modern miracles i think now we take for granted but that so many hands and so many minds are involved in every step of the process and it's just and when you do have to spend a little bit more to get something that you truly enjoy and appreciate that it's worth it because there's going to be so many people that are then affected or involved along the way that you wouldn't realize unless you know you pull back the hood a little bit and you just you, mm. you're pulling back the curtain you're seeing the behind the scenes right. of everything that's involved and that's what sometimes we need to do a better job of especially like the manufacturers too have to do a little bit more in terms of like showing people it's like hey you know these just don't appear out of thin air or they're not just churned out of a machine like punched like through a machine every five seconds like most of these pens they are you know they're they're hand held they're polished they're they're assembled like there's there's a team of people behind every little aspect of that pen and that's one one of the reasons why i fell in love with that lamy 2000 the way that i did that bauhaus mm. blue and spent ridiculous sums of money because i actually saw it in the factory i happen to see out of the corner of my eye people working on it and and polishing and sanding the 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 barrels and stuff and i'm like oh just that connection of just seeing that Mm. people were hand holding and making these things right in front of me and it's just it just that was it for me and and that, that that's the kind of experience i would hope that a lot of people get when they you know handle a pen and and they fall in love with it is that is that i was like wow somebody really took the time in producing this thing and and making it for me. I agree. I really wish there were more the making of videos because one of the big, one of the videos that had such an impact on me and this, you you talking just made me remember this was the making of the Visconti Divina. Do you remember? Mm. Did you ever see that video? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, there's a YouTube video. It's old, but they go through the making of a Visconti Divina. And I remember just, the whole process. Now the video is only like what five ten minutes long, but based on what I was seeing, clearly it doesn't take five ten minutes to make the pen. Mm-hmm. But there's such a long process, so much like work that goes into it, that it made me appreciate the pen, and it also made me think, wow, maybe the amount of money they're charging for it is for a reason. You yeah. know what I mean? And you would love to see that with your fish pen, too. Just seeing it, somebody just mm-hmm. taking a very, very fine brush and, and putting those additional color embellishments and layering yeah. it on there. Sure. Just being able to see that would be like, uh, yeah, that's mine. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's yeah. why it's $280. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So I think it's. I think if there were more manufacturers, I wish they did spend more time to make those videos. Uh, you know what the thing is, though? It's so easy to just shoot the footage of people making it just just shoot an hour's worth of b-roll fucking send it to me and i'll make the video you know what i mean like right shit that like that would be great like the making of whatever pen i would love that i would Mm -hmm. absolutely love that and i think that people would love it too well i think maybe a difficult thing though is that some of these let's say manufacturing techniques might be like somewhat trade secrets or uh, something that you yeah. would have to protect with a non-disclosure agreement or something like that. So, yeah, that's right. You know, but, but like you could show the basic stuff. 
you know, yeah, just, no, like, just as just long like as you the... show that people actually physically made the pen and that right there, yeah. So yeah, and I can understand why a company like Montblanc wouldn't want to do it because really, and I don't know this is a fact, but you know, it might take them like. 10 minutes to make a single pen. It might just be a machine that just pumps beads of plastic into a, into a fucking, you know, the injection molding machine. And then all they have to do is now put the nib together and stuff. I don't know. I, I'm not depreciating Mont Blanc. I love my Mont Blanc pens. I'm just saying maybe some brands, it would behoove them not to let you know how easy it is. <laughs> right? And then some brands, maybe it behooves them not to let you know how intricate a process it is because then their competitors could be like, oh, let's copy that. And, yes, and that or way, I know how to do know. that more efficiently. I could just right. do this, that, and the other thing, and boom, right. do the same thing. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, interesting conversation. I thank you for it, and I thank everybody for listening. This was episode number one hundred and sixty-six of the Penboy Roy Pentertainment Podcast. More reviews to come. We're going to leave the YouTube video of an ink guy, our good friend Adam, in the link below. And thanks again for listening. Love you guys. Be well. Be safe. Stay inky.